Good morning. I hate to interrupt your fun. Good morning. Welcome <laughs> to our 11 o'clock service on this, the first Sunday of Lent. Welcome to those of you in the room. More joining us, we know, online. It's good to worship God together. Some of you are visiting with us. We're super honored that you've come. Hope that you'll come back. Leave us some contact information. We'd love to reach out to you this week and uh, begin to befriend one another. That would be great. Uh, my name is James Howell, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It is good to be together. I hope you'll take a moment to look through the bulletin. We are starting all kinds of Lent small groups this week. We hope you'll take advantage of that. Two other programs I just want to highlight real quick on Wednesday at 11 o'clock and at 7. We have Dr. Hugh Floyd with the Bible and music. So you'll definitely want to check, check that out. Um, again, that's 11 and 7. And then on Thursday, our Congregational Care Department is hosting a program called Ending Well. Um, it's not something we always love to talk about, but it can be a blessing to our families. So I hope you'll check out the details for that in the bulletin as well. It is good to be together. Let us prepare our hearts for worship.
family of God, let us join our voices together as we confess our faith through the Apostles' Creed as found in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, it is our great privilege at this service to celebrate the sacrament of holy baptism. Three of our confirmation. Where'd Sarah go? <laughs> Don't do that to me. <laughs> How many confirmands do we have this year? We have, oh, it's like all together. Yeah, all together. 72. 72 confirmands. We're baptizing three of them this morning, which is great. So Martha K. Taylor, Mary Allison Wells, and Bryson Shepherd Wild come as candidates for baptism this morning. Hey, y'all. Siblings in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without a price. Bryson, Mary, and Martha, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you these questions. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to renounce evil and repent of your sins? If so, please say, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord? If so, say, I do. According to the grace given to you, will you remain a faithful member of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representative in the world? If so, please say, I will. And will you... Members of Myers Park United Methodist Church include Bryson, Mary, and Martha in your care. We proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We surround them with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their service to others. And will you pray for them that they may be 
true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life? If so, please say we will. Friends, let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. When you saw your people as captives in Egypt, you delivered them through the sea. Their children you brought into the promised land through the Jordan. In the fullness of time, you sent your son Jesus. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. And he calls on his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection. Pour out your Holy Spirit now to bless this gift of water in those who receive it, to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in your final victory. All praise to eternal Father through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Martha, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Mary, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Bryson, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Therefore, let your light so shine before others that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Children of God, as you grow in age, may you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We rejoice to welcome you to the family of God. Friends, it is fitting that as we remember the abundance of God's grace, we can therefore come with confidence to confess our sins before God and for, before one another. So please join me in the prayer of confession as found in your bulletin. Our minds and hearts are consumed by busyness and brokenness. Pride and rancor shout loudly in our lives. We want to see as you see to see ourselves as vessels of your love, to see and be kind to others. We want to hear as you hear, listening to the least of these, those wounded, debated, blamed, and left out. Free us from all bondage, free enough to be reconciled to you and with others. Consume our hearts and minds by your grace. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Gospel reading is Mark, chapter 1, beginning with the ninth verse. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opened and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from, the, from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, Mark, thank you for this uh, reading of what is the opening scene of Jesus' uh, marvelous, controversial, beautiful public ministry. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. Jesus came to reconcile us to one another. Uh, and he knew it was going to be hard. I love the way Barbara Brown Taylor puts it. She imagines that uh, God was in heaven looking down, so disappointed in people because they, they bicker, they argue, they're violent sometimes, they can be just mean, petty, whatever. And, but God notices there's an exception to this, and that's when there's a baby involved. There's a baby, people become tender and gentle, and God gets this idea like, I'll become a baby. So God shares this idea with the cabinet of the archangels, and they see that it's a stroke of genius, but they say, we'd rather you not, we'd worry about you. There are no safety measures, you know how people are down there, but then they see that God is dead set on it, so they break into applause. Just after they break into applause, as she puts it, God sheds his divine robes, his uh, midnight blue mantle falls to the floor, the stars collapse in a heap. There's an opening down to earth. They see a scrubby field speckled with sheep. And just as they look at the sheep, they hear a baby's cry in the distance. It was hard. Jesus came. He was proclaiming the total love and forgiveness of God. They, they wouldn't have it. They killed him for it. They killed him for it. Instead of discovering their hidden joy, they'd always saw it. What we have uh, in this world are complicated relationships. That's just the best adjective to describe it. I, I talked to a buddy of mine this week. We've been close friends for years. He's never really talked about his marriage. He described it to me, and I thought, man, you've got a complicated marriage there. You know, I did the program recently on Bible and marriage. Um, friend of mine, a retired pastor, saw that being advertised, so he sent me an email. He said, here's something you can share with your people. He said, uh, my wife and I have been married for, I forget, 42 years. He said, it's been great. And he said, what's, been, what's made it great is a vow that we made when we first married. We made the promise to each other that one day a week we would do something fun. One day a week, go get ice cream, go bowling, take a hike, something. He said, it's been great. He said, I, I take Tuesday, she takes Wednesday. <laughs> and there's so much snarky humor about marriage because marriage is complicated, right? I did my, did my Bible study. And at after the 11 o'clock, a guy came out and he said, why didn't you tell about the happy marriages in the Bible? And I said, find one. 
they're, they're a mess, just dysfunctional people. And why does God give us that stuff to read instead of just, oh, here are happy people? Is It's part of the divine mercy? Is it... I don't know when my kids were little, I thought it'd be better instead of saying, don't do these five things that I would just, stupid things, that I would just tell them the stupid things that I had done. And two of my children received that well and were like, oh, Dad, thank you. I'll avoid that. My third child thought, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Friendships get complicated, right? Like your friends and you're enjoying it, so I think it's fine, but then one day politics comes up and you're, you voted for that numbskull? Are you kidding me? Or you have a friend, like you're a Methodist, and they're in another town, and they're at one of those churches that's bolting the denomination. Like, what? I, just so complicated. You have a complicated, I know this is true, you have a complicated relationship with yourself. You needn't nod. I know that you do. Uh, you look at yourself in the mirror. You might be one of those people that you look in the mirror and you think, wow, cool, I dig that guy but not many. Most of us, we look in the mirror and we kind of like avert our gaze. We don't look that long. Or you look in the mirror and you, you, you just cringe a little. Or you look and you think, I need to lose some weight or I need to have a new haircut or I, something. It's always something. Uh, Ash Wednesday, I got to do both services. I was treated to two great sermons. Uh, Taylor at 11 talked about how, how our view of ourself gets complicated because in our society we're so, we're so fixated on how others view us, right? We're just like, how do they think of me? It, it complicates things. And then Uyan Kim in his uh, sermon at 7, I love this. He said, these ashes or a gentle whisper that says, it's not about you. Repent and believe in the gospel is a strong rebuke to our tendency toward guarding our own image rather than growing into the image of God. Just so lovely. We uh, always in our society have a complicated relationship with money, and we in the church are more than ready to assist you with this Money, it gets complicated. So we think, I am my worth. That is my worth. Uh, or you get, I got decisions to make about money. Or, well, I have worth, but then compared to this other person, I don't know. And it's like this albatross. We got a complicated relationship with money. You have a complicated relationship with the world. If you turn on the news, you can avert your gaze and turn it off, or you can pay attention, and it breaks your heart and even makes you numb. And then sometimes you think, I want to do something about the troubles of the world, but then you try to do something and you learn that no good deed goes unpunished, and that's worth them doing nothing. It's a complicated relationship with the world. I think we get a complicated, we have complicated relationship with God, don't we? And a lot of it's because we, confuse, we get confused about who God is. I have a niece named Katie. She has the coolest profession. Like, I really envy her. She, she does search and rescue. So last winter, she did this in Yosemite. People go hiking in Yosemite in the dead of winter, and they get lost, and they can't get out, and she searches for them and rescues them. Now she's doing this in Antarctica. Like, what a cool job. I love her. We treat God like search and rescue. We don't think a lot about God, but then, oh, I'm in trouble. God, can you come get me out of this? Or we have this other view of God, don't we, that God is this kind of uh, mild-mannered, 
doler out of little gifts. So God gives you a little gift, and you go, oh, thank you very much for that little gift. We get confused about it. All of these complications are our sin. All of these complications are our fallenness. All of these complications are our brokenness. These complications are the mess that we are in. And it's all habit-forming. Kate Bowler was here with me a couple weeks ago, and she read this book that we've commended to you for daily reading. I hope you're tracking along. In one of her episodes, she talks about, uh, she said, there's a reason that in the bookstore there are so many self-help books and so many books about habit formation. And the reason is habits are very hard to break. And she adds, habits are very hard to form. So she talks about some habits that we have that, like, you know it's not a good habit, but you, you're just kind of attached to it. So I love the way she phrases it. She says, um, she talks about things like bitterness or gossip or condescension or having a temper. She says, Lord, I cherish these addictions as my friends. Lord, please expose my great comfort with my favorite sins. Sustain my hope in your transforming love. And then here's what I've been praying over and over recently since I read it. Please convince me that you are dead certain that I'm capable of allowing you to save me from myself. Let me read that to you again. Oh, Lord, please convince me that you are dead certain that I'm capable of allowing you to save me <coughs> from myself. Uh, Lent began on Wednesday, uh, Ash Wednesday. Uh, this is interesting, actually. Uh, Lisa and I, I had the, like the most brilliant plan to cover that it's Ash Wednesday and it's Valentine's Day. So I'm putting ashes on people's heads here at the 7 o'clock service. I'd made a 745 reservation, calculating how long it would take, to run across the street to this Italian restaurant, Volo. Sure enough, service ended about 740. We dash across the street. Man, I mean... I'm a smooth dude. I've got this thing going on. And we get there right at 7.45 when my, when my reservation is. And, and the hostess says, your table will be ready in, I don't know, 25 minutes. And all of the holiness that I had mustered, <laughs> just gone in a nanosecond. So there were two seats at the bar. I said, we'll sit at the bar. So we sit at the bar. <laughs> And the bartender's chatting and stuff, and he keeps looking at Lisa's forehead, and this is amazing. He, he reached out. This is cool. And he, he did this on her forehead, and then he took those ashes, and he put them on his head. He said, I didn't get to go to a service. It was cool. Lent is a focus season. When we, uh, it's a time of testing, we try to shed the false props that hold us up in life. It's, sometimes I say it's a good season to shut off your gadgets, and that is a super good thing to do. You know, human beings live for centuries without the gadgets that we are addicted to, but I think what's harder to do than to shut off your gadgets is to shut off the voices in your head or to shut off the loud shouting of the world that has so many harmful messages for us. And some of them are related to this thing that Brian Steven, you know, Brian Stevenson, this lawyer, he's uh, worked to get people off death row who were wrongly convicted, marvelous guy. His most famous quote by far is, I believe that each person is more than the worst thing they have ever done. I believe that each person 
is more than the worst thing they have ever done. We forget this with other people, right? We hear someone did something and we think, oh, he's terrible. But everyone is more than the worst thing they have ever done. We forget this with ourselves. We get fixated on the worst thing or the worst things we've ever done and forget that we are far more than the worst thing that we have ever done. Kate Bowler, again, I love this. Lord, I've spent so much time imagining my worst qualities that it's difficult to imagine that you numbered the hairs on my head. You painted my eyes this color. You soften at the sound of my voice. Listen to this. You are not the bathroom scale. You are not a work evaluation. You are not my ex-partner. You are not my ex-friend. You know the very best of me. You are my cheerleader and champion, my memory keeper and my favorite friend. Flood me with love because of who I am, who I've become, who you made me to be. The world is loud, God. Only you can convince me of how embarrassingly lovable I can be. Quiet the shame and the doubts and the self-hatred. I'm ready to feel love again. Love in Mark's gospel, <clears throat> Jesus comes up out of the water and a voice from heaven <laughs> says, you, you are my beloved. And that's not just for Jesus because of the way the gospels work. That's actually God speaking to every one of us. You, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking he's talking to some other people in this room, but I am not. You are God's beloved. And you may think, you don't really know me, but you are God's beloved. You are not a consumer. You're not a producer. You're not a winner or a loser. You're not unhappy or chipper. You're not a failure. You're not an escape artist. You are God's beloved. And for me, this changes everything about the kind of church that we're going to be. What kind of church are we going to be? I've been taking people on tours of the new building that's uh, going to open soon. Pretty soon we'll all be in there. And every time I take people on the tour, <clears throat> when I finish, you know, none of them say, eh, it's okay. They all look at the building and they say, wow. And then the best part, they start talking about the possibilities. Think what God could do in this building. Think what we could do in this building. It's a great conversation. It won't matter what we do in this new building if people do not come in here and hear very clearly the message, you are God's beloved. And not just us nice Myers Park United Methodist Church members. Anybody that happens to walk in here, my dream is that they will only hear you are God's beloved. There are people that will never set foot inside this church for various reasons. I want them to know that in our eyes, you are God's beloved. Beloved, if we don't get that right, nothing else, nothing else will matter. The image that I've used before, I keep repeating it, it's just so important to me. If you've heard it before, bear with me. A lot of churches right now are making a really dumb mistake, and they've done it through history, and it grieves Jesus' heart. A lot of churches think that God is asking us to be the moral police of the world. 
that we sit inside here and we decide what's right and wrong. It's not really, though, about what's right or wrong for us, though, is it? It's really about judging people who are out there. And we know what is right and wrong, and we're happy to tell them, and we think that that's why God put us here. But <laughs> the various problems with that, one is like, we don't even get it right. right? We think some things are wrong, they're actually pretty good. We think some things are right and they aren't so good. But way more importantly is that people out there are not holding their breath, waiting to see what the church says is right and wrong. Like, oh, please tell us what's right and wrong, and when you tell us, we'll do whatever you say. No. People who are out there, when we try to be the moral police, they're just like, you people are so hypocritical and judgmental, I will never have anything to do with you. God does not ask us to be such a church. God invites us to be a church. It's, it's still best described in this documentary that Lisa and I saw called Finding Harmony. It's about a choral director. Choral directors will save the world, we know. This guy's name is David Brown. He shows up in Springfield, Ohio with a big stash of flyers, and he nails them up everywhere, and he hands them to everybody that comes by, and he just says, come sing with us Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And a lot of people show up, and they're tall, and they're short, and they're black, and they're white, and they're conservative, and they're liberal, and they're rich, and they're poor, people who would normally never be together, and he conducts them in singing, and they're just having such a grand time. <laughs> singing together. And then he asks, just you know, talk to your neighbor, tell them your story. People hear stories they would never, never hear. And it's just so moving. That's church. We say, come sing with us. <laughs> come tell us your story. We know it's a good story. Why? Because we know you are God's beloved. We will not judge you. We will love you. We will listen to you because God wired things where God's beloved are together there's just so so very much joy it's Lent my friends thanks be to God let us go to God in prayer Spirit of the living God, we gather in this space on this day as your people to worship you. We are here because you call us your own. We are here because you invite us to be with one another. We are here because we seek to grow in love with you and grow in love with our neighbors. Help us, guide us, and empower us so that we may live into the fullness of the family that you call us to be to give witness to your world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Some of us come to give thanksgiving. Some of us see all too clearly your guiding ways and your peace-filled presence in our lives. Some of us feel your everlasting so abundantly. And some of us gather today because we are in desperate need to know you are here. Some of us are searching for a glimmer of hope, seeking guidance and needing directions for our lives. Some of us do not know where to turn and who to turn to. So for all gathered this day, no matter the reason, may we encounter your graceful presence. May your church be an instrument that points the way towards you and your good news. 
May we be the embodiment of your good news to all those who are seeking. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We are constantly tempted to see the world and see our lives through a distorted lens, a lens that is not of you. We are tempted to resign ourselves toward violence to the unknown, to other our neighbors who are strangers to us, to despair for the way things are. So may your church be the bridge to lead your people from these places of wanting toward the places of goodness and abundance. May we be the bridge that leads people from the way things are toward the place where things will ultimately be, a place where your will be done here on earth as it is already done in heaven. So trusting in your everlasting goodness and the promises of God, we are able to pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray as we pray together in one voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. As the ushers come forward, we give thanks, for it is through God's continuous goodness and our collective generosity that we continue the ministries of the church for those in and outside the walls of our church. As you've just previously witnessed, we baptized three confirmands, over 70 confirmation students. Eighth graders are going through this journey of discipleship getting to know the heart of God all the more. It's a year-long process. We give you thanks for your continuous generosity. Let us receive our morning tithes and thanksgiving.
Loving and gracious God, with thanksgiving, we offer these gifts to you. May these offerings become a source for hope for those who are in need in our church and also community beyond us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
as we journey together as a family of God in this season of Lent, may God continue to transform your discipleship. May God continue to transform God's church. All that we need in this journey of transformation, God has already provided. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore.